You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and he calls us to preach the word in season and out of season. We pray that as you listen, you'll be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. Father, we thank you so much. For your word. We thank you that we've been able to spend so much time today uh, examining it together, learning new things, being reminded of old things. Father, we pray for this session. Father, we do pray that you'd help us, help us understand uh, this concept of biblical theology and how it fits into reading your word. And Father, we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Friends, I want to start off by saying this. The discipline of biblical theology, unfortunately, suffers from significant misunderstanding. Uh, In fact, it suffers similarly to the term football. Now you might say, what's that mean, Andrew? Well, football is a rather tribal word, if you hadn't noticed, and it can mean different things to different people. Uh, So, for example, I want you to think of what football, the word football, means for Victorians. Now, I want you to think about what it means for New South Wales Wales people. Then I want you to think, when a Brit, a British person, hears the word football, what do they think of? And what about an American person? When they hear the word football, what do they think of? Let me tell you, it's not Aussie rules. (laughs) Okay, in other words, it can mean different things to different people. Moreover, the term itself, I think, is somewhat tribal in its nature. In other words, its meaning can easily be determined by who is using the term and where they come from. Uh, For that reason, I think it's very helpful that we define what is meant here. And the best approach is uh, to be the best way to approach defining it. So here is my shot at telling you what the boundaries within biblical theology is done and thought about. First, biblical theology is a distinctively Christian discipline distinctively Christian discipline formed by Christian presuppositions. Number one. Two, key among those presuppositions is that Jesus is God's Christ. The one who fulfills is the centre of God's plans and purposes. Uh, Ephesians 1 verses 2 through to 10. Third defining characteristic of biblical theology arises from those previous two. In other words, biblical theology is theology done in the context of understanding that the Bible of Christians is made up of two testaments, old and new. Together, those two testaments are regarded as Christian scripture. So you look at your Bible, it's got Old Testament, New Testament, that's it. Moreover, as Christian scripture, they have a theological unity. They belong together. In other words, the fourth characteristic of biblical theology is that it is whole Bible theology. Whole Bible theology. 
it takes into account the whole Bible, both Old Testaments, Old Testament and New Testament. And moreover, because we understand that God's purposes seen in the Old Testament witness to Jesus Christ who later came and find its fulfillment in him, biblical theology recognizes that the Old Testament cannot be read entirely objectively by Christians because we've seen its future. Does that make sense? So when, when we come to the Old Testament, we've, we've got our New Testament background as well and we sort of come back to it and we start reading it. Um, so we cannot, we as Christians cannot read the Old Testament as though... Um, the New Testament did not exist. It's impossible for us to do. It's like trying to shed presuppositions. You just can't do it terribly easily. However, at the same time, what, and this is very, very important, we don't read the Old Testament into the New, but we allow the Old Testament to speak for itself. I'll repeat that because it's very, very important. We do not read the Old Testament... Uh, sorry, we, we, we can't read the Old Testament entirely objectively, or as, as though the New Testament didn't exist, at the same time, we don't read the Old Testament into the New. Okay? We don't read the Old Testament into the New, but we allow the Old Testament to speak for itself. In other words, I'm saying the Old Testament must be, for us as Christians, it must have its own distinctive voice. Only when we hear that voice... Will, will Jesus, to whom it witnesses, be fully understood? In other words, if you do not read the Old Testament in its own right, you will not understand who Jesus is and what he did. That makes sense? Very, very important to note that. Because I hear people talking about <laughs> biblical theology, which is basically just reading Jesus into the Old Testament um, and what they know from the New Testament into the Old Testament. Further, Jesus fulfills but does not negate, subordinate or replace God's revelation given in the Old Testament. Otherwise, if that's what it does, why not throw the Old Testament out and we'll just have the new? No, no, the Old Testament must be allowed to speak of the Saviour to come. Therefore, the Christian biblical theologian or practitioner will read the Old Testament in its own right on its own, while keeping their eyes on the way it leads to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it, keep our eyes open for the multiple ways in which the Old Testament and the New Testament are linked theologically. The fifth and defining characteristic of biblical theology is that it is primarily, listen to this, this is the most important thing I say in this talk, it's primarily about theology. Oh, I know that's strange, it's got to sit in its name, but you need to hear that, right? It's primarily about theology. It is not, as some seem to practice or indicate, another way of speaking about the storyline or plotline of the Bible. See, many people I hear talking about biblical theology, they think, oh, you mean the plotline of the Bible, the big story of the Bible, that's what you're talking about? That's biblical theology, isn't it? To which I say, no, it's not. Um... So while biblical theology needs to take into account the story of the Bible, the storyline of the Bible, biblical theology rightly understood is about the theology of the Bible. What's theology mean? The stuff about God, basically. 
So at its best, biblical theology is therefore a discipline sandwiched between two other major theological disciplines, right? Two other major theological disciplines. On the one hand, there's exegesis. What's exegesis do? It looks down at the Bible and says, oh, this particular text in the Bible is saying that. So it examines it in its original context and says, what did it mean to the original hearers in the original language? What did it mean to them? Biblical theology takes the raw material of what's in the text, exegesis, and reflects on what it has revealed of the theology of that passage within the context of the book, the testament it occurs in, and eventually the whole Bible. Now, sorry, this is very complex and we'll get away from it soon, but I need to lay the groundwork, okay? That understanding allows biblical theology to lead to systematic theology. Systematic theology is when you say, right, okay, this is an oversimplification, so don't quote me, okay? Uh, Systematic theology sort of goes like this. Um, right, I'm, I'm reading this text here and I notice something in this text that looks very much like something in this text up here. That looks very much like something in this text up here. And when we put all of that together, we've got a system, haven't we? That says things about God, the world, ourselves, other people, the situations we face and so on. So it allows biblical theology to lead toward that. This understanding means that biblical theology, here's a very important thing, is not about explaining how a particular passage in the Bible fits into the chronology or storyline of the Bible. That you are not doing biblical theology when you do that because it's not theology, is it? It's, it's biblical storyline or biblical chronology. Okay? A person who has in mind that biblical theology was indeed about such approach might then consider that biblical theology has been done when we put Jesus into the storyline of the Bible. Do you understand what I'm saying there? Some people think they've done biblical theology when they've seen, right, we've got Genesis here, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, Samuel, and all the rest of them, right, until we get into Matthew, Romans. Oh, and that's where it fits in. And I'll show you how it fits into that, that storyline by putting Jesus at the end of it. Right? And they say, that's biblical theology. Others consider that it's about explaining how God's purposes in Jesus the Christ are fulfilled. Now, in other words, what I'm saying is that lots of people think biblical theology is about explaining how a particular passage shows what God is doing in Jesus Christ. But that is misleading, I think. I think it's misleading. And here, if you're taking notes, this is the way three sentences I've got. The first two are the most important. First one, biblical theology is not biblical chronology does that make sense biblical theology is not biblical chronology okay that is a similar theme just followed all the way through the bible chronologically okay and here's the next one biblical theology is not biblical christology in other words it's not just saying this is oh this is how it's fulfilled in jesus right 
So there's God starting back here. Genesis 1. And here we get to New Testament book 1, verse 3. (laughs) Okay. Um, uh, uh, There it is. Right, there's Jesus. We'll just put him there. Okay. And we'll read that back into the Old Testament. No. Here's the most important thing about biblical theology. It's biblical theology. (laughs) Notice the word. It's not biblical chronology. It's not biblical Christology. That is all you need to know about Jesus. No, it is biblical theology. It's about how the theology of the many different parts of the Bible fits into the theology of the Bible, which finds its center in Jesus the Christ. And its focus in Jesus the Christ. That, this approach can explain why we put so much time in, these, in this day with you, so much energy into talking about digging under the surface theologically. Does that make sense? So we've said, try, try to understand what's going on under the surface here. What's this about? What does this tell us about God, the world, ourselves, other people, the situations we face? That's the stuff of theology. What, what does it tell us? And then how does that stuff fit into the rest of the Bible? So if we find back here that God is a creator, Genesis 1, how does that fit into the rest of the Bible? So we explore that theological concept. God is a creator. That's a theological concept. We explore how it fits into the rest of the Bible. And we might come across books like Job, which talk about that. Or Psalms that talk about that. And then finally, we get into the New Testament and it says this. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new what? Creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. That's biblical theology. Right? It's not imposing something on the text. It's drawing out from the text what's there. So you say, oh, hang on a moment. Someone becomes Christian here. What, What has to happen for someone to become Christian? Well, they were opposed to God a week ago. And suddenly something happened. They heard a word about Jesus. They heard someone teach them about Jesus and they accepted it. And it's changed them incredibly. If anyone is in Christ, they are a what? New creation. God's done a new creative work in them. Transformed them. Just like God did to the emptiness and void back in Genesis 1. You mean God's been doing these creative works all the way through history, but the place where he does it the most is here in Jesus. When a person hears the word about Jesus, just like that word was spoken into the void of pre-creation and created the world, so God has spoken into the void of someone's life the word of Jesus, and they have become Christian. You think, whoa, that's that's mind-blowing. And not only that, but it points even further on than that because it looks toward a new creation as well. So, can you hear what I'm saying? I'm really emphasising this because I'm fighting uphill because I hold a view about biblical theology that I think is actually the genuine view, but nevertheless, it gets twisted a little bit. 
So, now can you see why we've spent so much time saying, look under the surface of the text. The text lets you into some thoughts that lie under the surface. Under the surface lie some ideas about God, the world, ourselves, other people, the situations we face. That's the stuff of theology. And somehow those things get worked out and worked through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, do you see now why we dig under the surface looking for the theology? So that we can make the links between that theology and the theology that runs all the way through the Bible. So if you can see what God is saying in this passage theologically, you can do biblical theology. Oh, and you know about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Then you can do good biblical theology. And doing good biblical theology, let me tell you, is one of the most exciting things you can do in studying the Bible. Because all of a sudden everything begins to fall into place. What you, when you do it, your horizons begin to stretch out into eternity. You realise how magnificent our God is. You realise how magnificent a Messiah Jesus the Christ is. However, before I try and illustrate biblical theology, let me let you into a little secret. The key to doing good biblical theology, the key to being a good biblical theologian, is to be a regular, broad reader of the Bible. You won't be able to do it if you're not reading your Bible. So if you haven't got a regular reading Bible reading plan, get one. <laughs> and start reading the Bible through and through. And you know what will happen? Gradually you'll be, begin to make all these links. And you'll see them at the most unlikely places. Okay, if a person is regularly reading the Bible, they should begin to see theological connections all the time. So what you need to do if you want to be a good biblical theologian or to do good biblical theology is to have a good acquaintance with the Bible in its entirety. If you haven't got a good Bible reading plan, get one. I can help you. I've tried them all. <laughs> I have my own, um, but get one and start reading the Bible regularly and biblical theology will become second nature for you. Best way to attain it is to set a task of regularly, systematically reading the whole Bible in both Testaments. Now, that sounds awesome and overwhelming, but it's not so bad, really. I do it by reading a set number of just Bible texts from different parts of the Bible every day. That doesn't take me too long. And I learn heaps all the time. It'll enable you to see the connection. So be reading your Bible if you want to do good biblical theology. Because uh, what you're doing, when you're reading the Bible, God has a particular situation that he's presenting and he'll tell you what he's doing under the surface. Right? Now it might take him a whole book to do it sometimes, but he'll do it. And you think, oh, now I understand. And, oh, now I understand how that fits into what God did in his son. How Jesus fits into that. So, what are you doing when you do biblical theology? You are concerned with God's thoughts on what God is doing and why he's doing it. In other words, what are you doing? 
When you do good biblical theology, you're reading the mind of God. <laughs> and friends, there's nothing grander to do. You're concerned with the mind of God. That's what theology is. It's the mind of God on his world and himself. Okay, now let's illustrate. Um, but actually there's a little bit more I need to do probably. Two things need to be stressed by way of encouragement. First, biblical theology is basically about seeing in all of Scripture the revel God's revelation of himself, his character, his ways in his world and his purposes in his Son. It sees the theological patterns God, of God's unfolding revelation of himself in his word. And for the Christian, let me tell you, there's nothing more exciting than this. Nothing more exciting than finding out. If you're a believer of, in Jesus, nothing more exciting than finding out how everything fits together around the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing like it. Second, doing good biblical theology is grounded in understanding that all Scripture is inspired by God. All Scripture is inspired by God. Because God is the author of all Scripture, we can expect that we'll find there's an overall unity to Scripture a coherence to it, a commonality in the end product. Although there are many human authors involved, there's one primary superintending, overseeing author, God. And we might therefore expect to see his hand at work in giving unity and flow and common theological interest throughout the work, and there is. His revelation of himself, his character, his purposes in his son flow from scripture and link scripture together. And when you begin to see it, friends, I cannot tell you how grand it is. You see how this our God saturates all of existence because it is his world, his universe. And he's there active in it and you can expect to see signs of him when you have eyes to see everywhere. Okay, now, while it would be good to explore the whole of the book of Jonah, <laughs> again, it's been necessary for us to narrow things down because of time. So we're going to concentrate on, guess which chapter of Jonah? One. Okay, and you must be quite familiar with it now. And in relation to this, Verse 9 has already been recognised as a central statement in Jonah 1 and the whole of Jonah. Do you remember what happens? Have a look at it. Jonah talks about God as the incomparable creator and answers the sailors with these words. Do you remember? He says, I'm a Hebrew. This is verse 9. I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heavens, of the heavens who made the sea and the dry land. Okay, I worship... I'm a Hebrew, I worship the Lord, the God of the heavens who made the sea and the dry land. Now as we look back in scripture, we see this is our foundational theological element in all of scripture, isn't it? Scripture opens with this theological affirmation. In Genesis 1, God is portrayed as supreme over all others. He alone is creator, he alone can make the universe. 
and he creates all and he places all things in order within that created universe or that created world. As the psalmist says, he is the one who sits above the circle of the earth and who walks on the surface of the deep. Isn't that a grand picture? <laughs> He's above everything and under everything, <laughs> even underwater, as it were. <laughs> and if Scripture goes on, we're constantly reminded that he's sovereign over his creation. As the psalmist says, like I said, he sits above the circle of the earth, walks on the surface of the deep. Job reminds us of this. Job 37 to 41. He is the one who laid the earth's foundations and marked off its dimensions. Isn't that, isn't that a terrific image? Right? He's the one who laid the earth's foundations and marked off its dimensions. In other words, he's over everything. He controls the weather, he supervises the creatures he's made, he knows the intricacies of their ways, and not even the great sea creatures are beyond his knowledge and control. Just as all other deities are impotent before him in Jonah, so they are impotent before him elsewhere, such as in Egypt. As creator, he alone is the real God, worthy of the name God and worthy of the worship of all creature on earth. All creatures on earth. So that's looking back, okay? Looking back, you, from the perspective of the New Testament, you can say, well, the God, God is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. How do we... Where, where, is he, where do we see him before? And we go back and back and back and back and back and he's back there in Genesis 1. He's back there in Exodus eight, you know, 20 when he gives the law. He's back there when he calls his people. He's back there when his son's dying and so on and so forth. So, just as Jesus is constantly proclaimed to be the centre of history, he's also the centre of creation. That's interesting, isn't it? So, even, even that. Listen to this. This is from John chapter 1. Now, I want you to listen to this as you've not listened to it before. John 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word, now remember who that's about. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was, in, he was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him and apart from him not one thing was created that has been created. Can you hear what's being said here? This is overwhelming. His oversight in creation is affirmed. Just like it is in Hebrews 1.3 where we're told that, God, that the Son, Jesus the Christ, is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. He's been active there. That oversight of the created order is demonstrated when Jesus heals the sick, isn't it? What's he doing? He's creating a new created work. When he raises the dead, that is, gives life to that which has no life. When he stills storms, when he restores order and harmony through his ministry in the world. That leads to a second theological theme we noticed in Jonah 1. Do you remember this? Do you remember there that we saw that God, that not only was God the creator, but also God was the redeemer? That's there, isn't it, in, in Jonah? Now, when we look back, so we're now standing from our post-New Testament perspective. When we look back, 
Um, we notice a link between God as creator and God as redeemer. You see, if God is the creator, that is, if God can make something out of nothing, he can redeem as well, can't he? After all, if he's a creator, he can make things new. Because that's what he did back in creation, he can do it now. He can make things new. And not only that, he can make people new. We see both of those things in the book of Exodus, don't we? Which strongly um, links God as creator and God as redeemer. You're basically saying, God the creator can redeem his people. If he can make something out of nothing, then he can take something that's already there and make it into something. He can redeem. The impression created is that if God can control all the elements such as he does in the plagues, then surely he can bring Israel out through the water and into the promised land. No big deal, is it? So in other words, if he's a creator, he can be a redeemer as well. He's also a redeemer. And that theology is then developed elsewhere in the Old Testament. Listen to this. This is from Isaiah chapter 44, verse 24, and it links creation and redemption. Listen to this. Rejoice, heavens, for the Lord has acted. Shout, depths of the earth. Break into singing mountains, forest, and every tree in it, for the Lord has redeemed Jacob and glorifies himself through Israel. Can you hear what's being said? I'm the creator. I did it back here. What is it then to do it amongst my people here? It ain't nothing. That is, I can do it. I can do it. I'm God the creator. If you knew of me as that back then, then I can do it now. That means if I can create there, I can recreate here. Friends, now can you understand that statement in the New Testament? If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. How do you know God can do it? Because he's done it back there. He's done it there, 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 there. Do you think it's a bit of a problem for him to do it now? No, no problem at all. Because that's his nature. God is Israel's redeemer who formed her in the womb. Oh, okay, thank you. I better get off my high horse here. Oh no, we'll get there. Let's move quickly. He's the maker of all things. So if God can make the sea and the great sea creatures, he can do everything. Now, we've observed those things in look back, but they're also present as we look forward. Let's see how those themes are fulfilled in Jesus. So the New Testament presents God to be redeemer. And we Christians know that even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still enemies, even when we were at war with God, Christ died with us. Romans 6 verses 6 to 8. At the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Though very rarely will some, as Paul says, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But in Christ, God demonstrates his great love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, a new creation has happened. So, what does that do to Job chapter 1? Sorry, Jonah chapter 1. If we look back into the Old Testament, then we find that the term fear of the Lord is almost... Remember the theme we've been looking at in Jonah 1? Theme, it's fear. The term fear of the Lord is almost a technical term in the Old Testament that normally means respecting God, revering God, submitting to God. So people who fear God in the Old Testament normally express their fear by obeying Him. In contrast, in Jonah's case, we find him mouthing the words but not reflecting it in his actions. In other words, they don't appear to mean much to him. So, but when the Lord speaks, so when the Lord speaks, where do we find him? Running away. When the Lord acts, he's sleeping. Jonah appears to be portrayed as a man who readily accepts the privileges of being God's people, but not the responsibilities. So he hardly lives in the fear of God. Now, so let's look back. Okay, let's look forward. When we take those things on, and look forward, we can see that Jonah is something of a type of the religious leaders of, his, of Jesus' day. Religious leaders of Jesus' day know, claim to know and love and fear God, but they cannot recognize the Messiah when he comes. Moreover, they don't heed him or obey him. So the Jews are doing what Jonah had done back in Jonah 1. They are resisting Jesus persecuting his church. But we do have the such, such cases as Cornelius who does believe. And I'm just... So, it's no wonder, is it, that at the end of Acts, Paul can say these things. Listen very carefully. With that background I've now given you, Paul can say this. Disagreeing among themselves, they began to leave after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your ancestors through the prophet Isaiah when he said, go to this people and say, you will always be listening but never understanding, you will always be looking but never perceiving for the hearts of these people have grown callous, their ears are hard of hearing, they have shut their eyes, otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and they turn and I would heal them. Therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. So, what I've done is do the biblical, an exercise in biblical theology. I've followed theological ideas through scripture and seen those theological ideas come out. Now, I've got, how much time have I got left? Five? We won't make it to the end, but I can make sure these notes are circulated. Earlier this year, this year was a big one for me, I turned 65. But no, let's not concentrate on that. <laughs> let's go back to when I was 18 or 19. When I was 18 or 19, I decided that shaving was for people who didn't have a life. <laughs> so I grew a beard. And I've had that beard for most of the years since then. Have a number of years ago, something happened. One morning, the alarm went, went off. I silenced it. I stumbled out of bed. I found myself in front of a mirror. I looked. I didn't like what I saw, so I did something. I picked up a razor. And off came the beard. The mirror caused a change. Understand that? Now, I acted upon what I saw. Well, the book of James imagines a situation similar. Listen to this. 
If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like someone who looks at his own face in the mirror. He looks at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. Can you hear what he's saying? Looking at a mirror has a purpose. Listening to scripture has a purpose. It's so you can respond to what it reveals. Scripture is designed to bring about a response. So when you hear the word of God and you observe it, that's called application. And so in the Old Testament, to know something is to have it filtered down into your life. Now, with that in mind, I want you to turn in your Bibles. So we're getting there now. 2 Timothy 3, 15 to 17. Look at what the verses say. It says that scripture is not only invaluable for instructing us in salvation, but is useful for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. In other words, the object is not simply to teach, but to change our actions. I wonder if you can see what I've done, right? So I've started off with Genesis. I've moved the way through. I've seen what it's saying. I've seen that God's the creator. I've seen that if he's the creator, he can make things new. I've seen that if he can make things new, he can make me new. I've seen that he can make others new. So how do you apply that? Well, you apply it by saying, then God can do it with you as well and he can do it through your preaching of the message of Jesus. Can you see how biblical theology works? It's magnificent. So, and in terms of, I am happy to, since we are running out of time, um, I, will, I will make sure you get these notes and uh, they can be put up for you. But I will... I will tell you where I end up with this. You can see it. How do I apply Jonah then? Friends, many of us here in this room either were or are like Jonah. He says, read my word and know it and we run out of time. He challenges us. We flee from the threat. We come to church and Bible study, treat his word with complacency. We recite creeds about him, sing songs of his greatness, but let's face it, sometimes we're in deep sleep. And so into that, how does this word come to us? Well, it comes to us and says, no, God can transform you. Let it do so. That word is the word about his son. So, Friends, if God can create in Genesis, if he can touch the world in Jonah's day, he can do the same thing in our day and he can transform us. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Can you see how biblical theology works? It just knits the whole thing together. And if you grasp the theology, you can apply the theology multiple times. You haven't finished when you've said it fits into Jesus. Does that make sense? You haven't finished until you've applied it to all of life. So this God who was, this person who was God here is God there, 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 there and here. And he ain't changed. So if anyone in his Christ is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come.
So start doing that exercise. Start thinking about what do I learn about God in this passage? Because if this is who he is, what will it look like now? Does that make sense? Good. Then I think I'm done.